0: page 514. Now, for those of you uh, who are visitors with us this morning, we've been going through Psalm 119, the largest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses. And like I said at the beginning, it's either going to be awesome or it's going to be terrible. So we welcome you to uh, joining us in the middle. We're almost halfway through, everybody else. So we'll get there. We're just a little, we're over halfway. We're over halfway. Uh, But it talks about God's Word. And the different aspects of God's Word, the different uses of God's Word. And we're going to see that this morning. Let me begin by telling a story uh, from my camping days. Wait, before I was a pastor, I worked at a camp in Michigan. It's called Spring Hill Camps. And I worked there throughout uh, college and seminary and was a camper there before that. So I think I spent a total of 14 years um, at that camp. And as I was on staff there, as we would tell people about Jesus through camp, by the way, Hook family, if you're still here, this was not on purpose, okay? I didn't pick it because you guys were here and you guys work at a camp. So, I'm not that good, okay? I'm just not. But we had a basic schedule as we explained the scriptures. We had a basic schedule of that on Sunday we talked about the fact that Jesus is God. And one of the biggest questions that you have to answer in your life is, Who is Jesus? And how are you going to respond to him? Monday, we talked about how God loved us and created us. Tuesday was Sin Day, where we talked about how we are separated because of our sin from God. And then on Wednesday, we were able to share the rest of the gospel message. We were able to share that Jesus died on the cross and rose again in our place. And on Thursday and Friday, we shared about living the, the Christian life. What, what, now that your life has changed, what do you do? But after Wednesday night, there was always a time where we gave opportunity to the campers to talk to the counselors, to talk to myself about the message that they had heard. And, and inevitably, at least a few every week would stay and ask questions. Maybe they had... Questions about something they'd heard back home from their church. Maybe they had questions. Maybe they just had never heard of Jesus before that week. But they would stay after. And some people, some campers, would would place their trust in Jesus Christ on that Wednesday. That was an amazing thing. And over the years, one of the things I noticed, one of the things I noticed about these kids who made a commitment to Christ on those days is... More often than not, I would see this change. That as they were sitting in their bunks, and sometimes we didn't know about this till later, these kids who made a commitment to Christ would start reading their Bibles. And this is true. I, all the campers I worked with were from first grade up through seniors in high school, and this was across the board true that many of them, most of them who had placed their trust in Christ for the first time, almost instinctively knew that they needed to start reading their Bible. Now, sometimes we only found this out because they started at the beginning of the book and got confused pretty early on about the talking snake, especially the first graders, and which that's understandable. What's the snake doing? But, but again and again... I saw, as, as campers placed their trust in Jesus Christ, I saw this need, this love for God's word that was in its infancy among them. And it, and it demonstrated itself in having to be told to turn off their flashlights because they needed to sleep. <laughs> and today, in this stanza, we're going to get a glimpse of the love of God's word that we should all have. That if we are believers in Jesus, if we are disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, that there is a love for God's word that will change our lives. That that when we love God's word, God uses his word to help us. That there are benefits to loving God and his word. That God uses his word to bless us. And the two specific ways we're going to see that this morning, and you see on your bulletin if you're following along, our big idea this morning is this. That when we love God's word, we learn wisdom and we hate evil. And these are two benefits of loving God's word that all believers should have, that love that we should all have, that these are the ways that God blesses us through that love. So let's first look, again, if you're following on your outline, number one there. When I love your word, I gain wisdom. Let me read verses 97 to 100. Follow along as I read. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged for I keep your precepts. This idea of when we love God's word, that faith through that word, God gives us wisdom. Let's look at the first point there that, that he loves God's word. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all day. Now, think about this guy. He has demonstrated this love because he is, just, he is writing 176 verses about God's word. Again, we just need to understand that this is a demonstration of his love. He loves God's word so much that he took the time to write a psalm where each stanza begins with the same letter, right? We've seen that over and over again. I mean, if that doesn't show you that this guy loves God's word, I don't know what does. But he demonstrates it, and he declares it here. That that he loves God's word so much that it is his meditation all the day. That he steadies it every day. That it is always before his eyes, all of the time. Now we saw a little taste of that this morning with our BIC graduation. And for those of you who are watching these youth answer questions, and you were thinking in your mind, I did not know that one. <laughs> I want you to see these youth as a challenge to you especially if you're older than them. That, that in some sense, if they can do it, so can you. But they gave us they gave us a demonstration of a love of God's word. Because they studied. They had to study to answer all these questions. They had to take time out of their busy schedules to demonstrate what they did before you. So be challenged by them especially if you're older than them, especially if you could be their parents or their grandparents. But when we love God's word, when we meditate on it every day, when we take it seriously and say, I am allowing God to shape my life through his word, isn't that where the rubber hits the road, that I'm going to allow God to change me through his word. That I love God and his word so much that that I will admit I'm wrong. But when we do, when we meditate on his word, when we allow it to speak into our lives, When we allow it to renew our minds and change our behavior, we gain wisdom. Again, look at verses 98 to 100. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. In these three verses here, the writer talks about who he's wiser than. Okay, look at the three groups. The first group is his enemies. Now, I think he lists them because, as we've seen in other stanzas and in previous weeks, it appears as if his enemies are winning. Okay? It appears as if they have the upper hand on him in their attacks on him. But he can say, even though it appears you have gotten the best of me, because I have God's word, I am wiser than you. And we've seen in other places that that, that he relies on the promises of God to deliver him from his enemies. But he is not going to turn away from God's word because of some idea that his enemies are wiser because they're winning. And neither should we when we experience persecution. We should not give up on God's word because it feels like the people attacking us are winning. But he says, through your word, I'm wiser than them. 99, he says, I am more understanding than all my teachers. And in verse 100, he says, I understand more than the aged. Or the elders. And I think he uses these two groups because these two groups should be the wisest. The people who teach and the people who are old. These people should have the most wisdom and understanding. And so what he's saying is is that through God's word, I have more wisdom than the wisest people. That when my wisdom comes from God's word, it doesn't matter how much they've studied, it doesn't matter how much life experience they have, I have more. And the assumption is, is that these two groups are not getting their wisdom from God's word. And he says, if I have godly wisdom from his word, I have... More wisdom than anyone who doesn't have God's word. And here's an important thought any wisdom or any understanding we have or any authority that a teacher has, especially in the church, is borrowed. Let me say that again. That any wisdom and any authoritative teaching to be done is borrowed. It is borrowed from God's word and from God himself. He's not saying, I came up with a lot of wise things and that made me smarter than everybody else. Look at those verses. Look at verse 99 in particular. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why? For I, uh, for your testimonies are my meditation. Again, he's not calling himself wise because he's a real good thinker and he thinks outside the box. No, he says my wisdom, which surpasses these teachers and the old people, comes from God's word, and so it's borrowed. And this, this gives us hope. Let me tell you why this gives us hope. Let me, let me give you a, a, an example here. Sometimes when we try to speak truth into people's lives, they will say something along the lines of, well, you don't know what it's like. Or you haven't been there. Or you haven't gone through what I've gone through. And, and so they don't want to hear and they shut down. Now, sometimes, sometimes that is true. And sometimes we just need to keep our mouths shut that the best thing to say is nothing at all. Okay, and that is true sometimes. But here's what I worry about is that people use their experiences and their specific experiences, which none of us has the exact same experience. Right? Let's just, I mean, that's just true. Okay? And so if we say, you haven't experienced what I've experienced, you can't tell me anything, then no one can say anything to anyone. Right? And again, again, I'm admitting there are times where we all just need to keep our mouths shut. Okay? And that is the wisest thing to say. But, when it is time to speak, there's, there's a fear in that, well, I haven't experienced what they've experienced and so I can't speak into their life. And this is where it's important that we have borrowed wisdom. Because if someone says that, then you're like, you know what? You're exactly right. I have not experienced what you've experienced. And you can just accept that. You can proudly accept that. Be like, yeah, that sounds amazingly difficult and I have no idea what you're really going through because I have never experienced that. But, Here's what I do know. That God's word and the wisdom found in God's word speaks to every situation. That we're not speaking our own wisdom, but we speak the very words of God. Again, you don't have to speak your own words. You can speak God's words. And God has spoken to everything. And so as you are speaking truth, you don't have to rely on your experiences. You don't have to rely on how smart you are. I mean, let's be honest. If if we relied on our experiences to do any speaking, I should not be speaking. Because many of you have way more experiences than I do. I'm not going to call anyone the aged as in, you know, verse 99. But anyway, experience, there you go. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) When we speak truth, we're not speaking ourselves. We're not just speaking about our experiences. Now, God does give us experiences to help us speak, but we never speak those in total. Let me share with you a time in the Bible where this happened. Paul wrote to a young friend of his named Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. Didn't have much experience comparative to the rest of the group. So how is he supposed to speak truth to people? Because there are obviously people out there who have so much more experience. Paul says this to Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And then verse 13 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Because you are young, Timothy, read the Bible, read it to everybody, and teach the Bible. Exhort from the Bible. You don't need to rely on just who you are. You've got the Bible. And so people shouldn't look down on you because you're young because you're sharing God's word with them. Now, this is helpful to those of us, even if you're not young. This isn't just for young people. That, again, as you share with your friends and neighbors about Jesus, we can get frozen in this fear. This fear that I don't have all the answers, that I don't know exactly what you're going through because I have a limit to my experiences, and you've experienced very different things from me and we can get frozen in that fear. But there's hope. Because we can read the Bible with them and we can teach the Bible that has all wisdom and understanding. There's a freedom here that it's not all about you. Now, yeah, you do need to be a godly example. You do need to live a life that is congruent with Scripture to the best of your ability, empowered by the Spirit. That's all true. But when you speak, there's freedom in that you're not coming up with your own ideas, forming just some opinions you might have had, kind of, sort of, maybe, but that you can share the very words of God. You're just sharing. that so you can say, you know what? I, I don't really know what you're going through. I think I do. I have a sort of an idea, but I don't know exactly what that's like. It sounds it sounds awful. And you can be truly sympathetic. And you could admit that they have experienced things that you never have. But you can also share with them the Savior who experienced everything that they experienced. Just to Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That again, we're not, we're not just sharing our opinions, we're sharing a Savior who has experienced everything. We are sharing a sympathetic Savior, a Savior who suffers with us. And again, there's great freedom in that. That we can say, I, man, I, I, I feel bad for you. I feel sorry for you. And, and I, don't, I don't know what you're going through. But Jesus does. And let me share with you what Jesus says about that. Let me share with you the hope that you can have in Jesus Christ. Again, there's freedom there. There's a freedom not to be someone's savior because they already have one. They already have Jesus who can sympathize with everything they're going through. A Jesus who suffers so much and understands their suffering. And a Jesus who offers hope. And a hope that cannot be taken away. Let me give you one last verse that gives me confidence. That again, we have a borrowed wisdom. We have a borrowed authority in God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 says this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Again, you're not given the sermon about yourself. Think about that. If I tried to just get up here and share what I was thinking about or what I'd experienced, one, I'd run out of material really quick. And it would get boring. (laughs) It was just preaching myself. Honestly, I've seen, I've seen the story. It's not that great. So, but we preach Jesus. We don't preach ourselves. We share Jesus. We share the gospel. We share a Savior who defeated death and offers forgiveness of sins and abundant life. We're just servants to the King. And that gives us freedom. It gives us freedom to speak boldly. And it gives us freedom to speak to those who are hurting. It gives us freedom to mourn with people and to show them hope. Because I'm not sharing just me. I'm sharing Jesus. And any truth I have is not mine, it's Jesus' truth. Any wisdom I have is not mine, it's Jesus' wisdom. And we get that when we love and meditate and study God's word. Because if you don't know it, you can't have it. I mean it's it's almost too simple. If you don't know this book, you can't have what's inside it. And what's inside it is life and understanding and wisdom. And that's what we offer to the world. So when we love God's word, we gain wisdom and truth for which we are the conduits. We're the hose that brings the water. We're not the water. But we can be obedient conduits of the message because we're not preaching just our experiences. We're preaching Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing we need to see in this stanza is that we gain wisdom, but we also hate evil Let me read verses 101 to 104 I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me How sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth Through your precepts I get understanding Therefore, I hate every false way. Now, we've talked about before in other stanzas about obedience. But it's not usually been expressed in this way. The idea here is that he hates disobedience. So, in other stanzas, we've seen that he loves obedience, he loves obeying God. But now we're seeing sort of the other side of the coin that he hates disobedience. Now there's also a connection here and that what we are seeing is an example of living out the wisdom of the first part of the stanza. That when we gain understanding, when we know what God wants and who God is, this is one way that it will be demonstrated in our life. So an example of godly living, an example of godly obedience, of wise living is hating evil. Hating disobedience. So when we love God's word, we hate evil. So how do we do that? First, we reject what is bad. Look at verses 101 to 102. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. So he rejects what is bad. He, he tells us what he doesn't do when he loves God's word. You know, it, it's like when we explain to our kids, okay, let's, let's say you want to keep your kid in the yard and out of the street. Okay, you say, one thing you say is you say, stay in the yard. And the other one you say is, don't go in the street. Right? Both are the same way, different ways to say the same thing. And then you say it about 30 million times. Right? (laughs) Well, not my kids. The first time, they just, they understand right away. It's amazing. Hello. Um, So maybe you've experienced that, but, you know. But again, this is what he's doing. An obedient life that, that pleases God, wise living, he rejects what is bad. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. One of the reasons he rejects disobedience is because of disobedience would keep him from obedience. You ever thought about that? That that when we disobey what God has commanded, the reason not to is because that keeps us from obeying what he has commanded. Because in what he commands, we find life and worship to God. And I want you to think about that next time. When you're thinking, why shouldn't I do this? You can say to yourself, well, if I do that, then I can't be obedient. And being obedient pleases God and brings glory to him. It's a different way to think. Notice he doesn't say, I don't do evil because if I do, God will catch me. No, he's saying, when when, when I'm disobedient, I can't be obedient and I want to be obedient because being obedient brings glory to the God who created me and saved me. Again, again we're not obedient because if we're not, you know, God'll get out his, you know, cosmic hammer and strike us with lightning. We're obedient we're we're obedient because it brings glory to God and in God's commands we find life. And when we're disobedient, we can't we can't do that. Disobedience keeps us from the better thing. And then he also says in in rejecting what is bad, says, I don't abandon your word. Look at verse 102. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. In rejecting what is evil, he clings to God's word. He doesn't run away from God's word. He doesn't forsake God's word. Why? Why? Look at the second part. For you, you yourself have taught me. Because it's through God's word that the God of the universe teaches us. And if he really is the God of the universe who creates all things and offers salvation, then what he teaches is the best. Right? If he is the best thing that there is, if he is the God of the universe who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, then everything he says is the best thing to be said. And so when we forsake God's word, we run to second best, third best, fourth best, a hundred best. We run away from the best thing. We are running away from God teaching us. And this is just This is so easy to listen to lesser teachers. I mean, do we listen to commercials more than we listen to God? Because they're teaching something. Don't be fooled. Do we listen to our favorite politician more than we listen to God because they are teaching something? Do we listen to friends and family in front of God? Do we treat their opinion better than God's opinion? See, it's easy. It's easy to listen to a lesser teacher than God because there are a lot of people trying to teach you things out there. And if it's not through God's word, if it's not God speaking to you through what he has said, then it's turning away from what is best and turning to something not as good. This is is further detailed in the next verses, that he not only rejects evil, but clings to what is good, because God teaches through his word. He's going to cling to God's word. Look at verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. God and his word are the best. They're sweeter than honey. This is a common phrase in your Bible to say that that something is the best. It's sweeter than honey. Well, there's not really anything sweeter than honey. So it's like sweeter than the sweetest thing, meaning it's the best. And, And when we... When we run from evil, when we reject evil, we are able to accept the best of God's word. That it's better than the best thing. And it's better than the best thing because through, verse 104, through your precepts, I gain understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The reason we hate disobedience, the reason we hate false ways, is because God's way is so good. God's word is so much better. It's sweeter than honey. So when we reject evil, we are able to cling to what is good. We hate evil because it is only through God and his word that we can find joy in life. And when we love false ways, we cannot find joy in life. We can only find pain and death. When we have wisdom from God, we are able to live lives of obedience that go after the best thing, which is God himself. So again, we don't, we don't not disobey because we think we might get caught. Because, spoiler alert, you're going to get caught. Okay? You can't hide from God. Read the book of Jonah. Okay. Um, we'll talk about that later. But, but that's not the reason. The reason is, is that God offers so much better. God offers that abundant life, and he offers joy. The reason we're not bitter is not because God doesn't like it, and he'll make sure to punish us if we are, but joy is so much better than bitterness. Being kind to one another is so much better than hating one another. Because in those things that God loves and that please God is real life. And it's a life that's sweeter than honey. And we gain this through loving God's word. That through loving God's word, we get wisdom so that we can see what is better. We can see that to live is Christ. That Christ offers life and that God's word shows us that. And if we're not looking in the word, we'll never know that. And we'll just try to make things up as we go. We need to love God's word. We need to be people of the word. Because it is the conduit through which God gives us wisdom, Life and every good thing. And it changes us so that we hate evil and love what is good. And it gives us confidence that we can speak life-giving truth to one another. Father God, we thank you for your word that it would be our meditation every day. That we would be always students of your word. That we would gain wisdom. That we would boldly speak your truth. And that we would hate evil and live an obedient life that pleases you. And that as your people ransomed through the cross of Christ, that you would change us through your word and that we would submit ourselves to your word and in doing so, in making ourselves submissive to your word, that we would be exalted by you and find true life. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.